Thank you. Welcome to everyone on the live feed. Thank you for, so, for joining us this morning. And I'm just going to invite Pastor Nancy up to come and give us the word this morning. Amen. Can you guys give her a hand clap? What's up, guys? It's good to be back. Oh, it's always wonderful to worship with you all in chapel. Jesus always shows up. Isn't it beautiful to be able to come every Monday and just be in his presence as you're studying his word, being trained, and then also allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you? What a beautiful, beautiful privilege that we have in Christ. Uh, I have asked Lawrence to get an extra mic. I want you guys to have a cordless mic down there because you're going to help me read some Bible verses today. Well, welcome to your other chapel. We're about, what, halfway through this trimester, about? Who's going to Mardi Gras? Woo! Woo-woo. Are you done, Jackie? Oh, yeah, you're graduating. Wow. Okay, so are we, got, we got some people missing here. Is TJ absent today? Okay, TJ is not going to Mardi Gras, though, right? He is going to go to help? Okay, so you four. Lawrence, are you going this year? You're done. Oscar, you're done too. Man, time goes by so fast. Amazing. But there's still a big group. We got so many people going. Yuli, Jennifer, Adolfo. That's right. You guys are going to be at my symposium. Woo! Pray for your pastor, guys. I got like two weeks left to finish the big part of my project, and then I'll be presenting there. So pray for grace, pray for wisdom. But I am very excited to preach to you out of the book of Titus. The title of the message is The Book of Titus, Do What is Good. And uh, we're going to get some good nuggies. I think we're going to read all three chapters. It's just too good not to read them all. Uh, we may not go completely in order, but I will be reading big chunks uh, of these verses as we go through it. And I'll let you know um, when to start passing the mic around the verses that I want you to to read. But a little introduction on the book of Titus. How many of you guys have read the book of Titus? Be honest. If you haven't, that's okay. It's beautiful. I would read it in one sitting. I would encourage you to do that sometime this week if you can. Read it from start to finish or listen to it from start to finish. There's just good stuff in this book and we're going to dive right into it. The book of Titus is actually a letter from Paul to Titus. It is a pastoral letter and it provides instruction concerning the care of the churches. There are two other pastoral letters that Paul wrote, and they're 1 and 2 Timothy. And if you think about the beauty of pastoral letters, it's like, man, you get a, a letter from your pastor giving you instruction. Isn't that beautiful? It's like you guys getting a letter from Pastor Joe or from Lauren or from myself or any other elder. Like, And you're, let's say you guys are in the Philippines, and then we write you a letter like, do this, Jackie and Lauren. Set this in order. Tell this person that. You do this. You make sure you do this. So I want you guys to read through this with me and really envision yourself in Titus's shoes. Because this is not a kindergarten class. You guys are the Marines. You guys are in training. We are raising you up. You have answered the call to go, to plant churches, to establish God's work on the earth. Amen? And so I want you to read this, not as a little kindergartner, because that's not how we see you guys. We see you as adults answering the call of God, equipped and ready and given all that you need for life and godliness, ready to take care of business and set up order in God's church, plant churches, do ministry, etc. Amen. 
So Titus was left in Crete to carry on the ministry work that was started there by him and Paul during one of their visits. There is a repeated emphasis in this book on loving, doing, and teaching what is good. And we're going to read through all of those verses, all the verses that emphasize the word good in the English and the Greek. It's mostly in the Greek too. That is the emphasis, loving, doing, and teaching what is good. Everybody say, what is good? We have to love what is good. We have to do what is good. And we have to teach what is good. So within these three chapters, here are the subheadings. Chapter 1, appointing elders who love what is good. Also in chapter 1, rebuking those who fail to do good. Chapter 2, doing good for the sake of the gospel. And chapter 3, saved in order to do good. How do you guys know God wants us to do good? How do you guys believe Paul wanted Titus to do good and teach others to do good? So that is the emphasis. That is what we're going to be diving in. So I'm going to open it up. If you guys could turn to Titus, Titus chapter 1. And you guys know we love Titus because we named our son Titus. Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1, 8 and 1, 16. 4, 7. Lauren, would you be able to help us? So then I'll do 1, 8 and 1, 16. And you guys will hand her chapter 2 and chapter 3. Okay, so I'll go from here, I'll work my way down, and then Lauren will be last. So Oscar, can you please have Titus 2-3 ready? Cielo, do you have the Bible app? Can you get to King James? Because this one has to be in the King James for us to hear the word good. You have 2-5, so Oscar 2-3, Cielo 2-5, not Libany, don't tell me your name, Malia, yes. 2-7, oh. Not Jorge. <laughs> Brother, I forgot your name. Marco. I knew it. Marco Soberanus, right? Did I pronounce your last name right? What is it? Soberanus. You got KJV? <laughs> yeah, please KJV for this wor- uh, verse as well. 2.10. Lawrence, 2.14. Jack A, 3.1. Sadia, 3.8. And Lauren, Lorena, 3.14, please. Okay, Titus, and, and basically I'm breaking this down because I want you guys to hear the scope of all three chapters and how the message of loving, teaching, and doing good is continually repeated, and then we're going to go section by section. So, Titus chapter 1, verse 8 says, Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Speaking about the elders, loving what is good. 116, they claim, uh, yeah, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Take it, Oscar. Likewise, teach the older woman to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but, it, but to teach what is good. To teach what is good. Cielo 2.5. Wait, wait, give her the mic. Okay. Um, to be discreet, is it chastity? Chaste? Chaste. Okay, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. blasphemed. Yep. 
Awesome. So good is there. See, when you go to the NIV, they get rid of the word good, but the Greek carries it on all the way through. Go ahead, Malia, 2-7. In all things, shewing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, shewing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Awesome. Marco, 2-10, KJV. Not poor-loving, but shewing uh, all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Lawrence 2.14, please. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a particular, a peculiar people, zealous for good works. Jackie 3.1. Put them in mind to be subject to principi principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Come on, and Sidia 3.8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Come on, and Pastor Lauren, last one, 3.14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Come on. Okay, so you guys get the scope, right? There's a lot of emphasis on doing good, teaching good, being good, loving good. We get that, right? Okay, let's get to our points. Number one, set things in order. Set things in order. Paul encouraged Titus and gave him a mandate to set things in order in the church. And we read that in verse 1-5. So let's go to 1-5, please. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what Paul was trying to help Titus do was set up an order, a structure in the church that would be an example for others to follow, that the people that were getting saved and newly believers were coming in, that there would be a health in the church. Amen. So things need to be set in order. You need governmental structures in the church. You need leaders in the church. And so his specific thing at that point was you need to appoint elders and you need to appoint elders who are going to live a certain way. So let's read one six and let's keep going because these are the types of people that Titus had to find, had to uh, teach how to do this, how to disciple. And we need to make sure that we have trusted men and women in the church who are going to be elders to take care of God's people and handle God's work. So this is how he told him to set things in order. Appoint elders. And this is what an elder looks like. This is how an elder lives. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, right? Who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So Titus, I'm writing you this letter. I want you to learn how to care for the church, and I need you to set things in order. And the first thing I want you to do is I want you to appoint elders. 
And this is what an elder looks like. This is a responsibility in the elder. The elder has things in order in their life, and then they're going to help you set things in order in the church by refuting false doctrine, coming against false teaching. And then number two, which is the second thing of setting things in order, first one was appointing elders, setting up the leadership, and then the second thing is to rebuke these false teachings, which we just, oh, well, we will read in verses 10 through 11. So 1, 10 through 11 talks about rebuking those who fail to do good. And specifically here, Paul is referring to rebuking the false teachings of their time. There was three different groups that had these false understandings of Christianity, false understandings of what the Bible, what you know, Christianity at that time was established and what we should believing, what we should be believing. So the first one was the circumcision group. And you hear Paul rebuking the Galatians church about, you know, thinking that everybody needs to be circumcised in order to, to be saved, which was another gospel, no gospel really at all, right? So we hear that rebuke there. This is the same thing. So the circumcision group that ta taught that for salvation and sanctification, you needed to be circumcised. Refute that. Rebuke those teachers, right? Number two, they held to an unscriptural Jewish myths and genealogies. That's in 1 Timothy 1.4. And then aesthetics. Practice severe self-discipline and abstained from all indulgence. So anything God called good, they called bad, right? So religiosity, totally strict, and and. Uh, Paul was telling Titus, you need to shut this down. And that's why you need elders there with you who are going to have lives that are all in order and that they will hold firmly to this trustworthy message we're preaching that we're strengthening the churches with so they don't get sidetracked. These elders need to uphold this same trustworthy message at the, as they've been taught it by you so that they can encourage others and then refute those who come against it. So if there's any teaching that's going to come against here, what do you think the elders in this church are going to do? We're going to refute it. We're going to come against that to protect the sheep, to protect God's people. And that is why we are setting things in order. That was a very specific word that, Joe, uh, that God spoke to Joe and I when we first planted the church. And it was to set things in order in this city. Now, we weren't going to go to uh, go to ch uh, all these churches all across the city and bust down the doors like ghostbusters and be like, we're setting things in order here in your church. No, no, no. God was teaching us that we're going to set order with things that are out of order by establishing our church. Through Metro Praise, we would learn and teach and, and be an example of how we set things in order here. Through the governmental structure of elders and deacons uh, laid upon the foundation with the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Amen. So we're setting things in order. That's what Paul was told to do. How did he set things in order? Appointing leadership and coming against false teachings. Number two, set a good example. So let's go to chapter two now. I feel like these three chapters in Titus are like a sandwich. You got chapters one and three as the bread. And then chapter two is that lunch meat right in the middle. So this is like the meat of the book right here. And we're going to read a lot of this. So chapter two. Verse 7 through 8 is right in the middle of this chapter. And before, in the beginning of chapter 2 and then the end of chapter 2, he tells Titus to teach all this stuff. But right in the middle of Paul's instruction to Titus of what he should be teaching and telling other people, he says these two things to him, these two verses, 7 and 8. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show, show integrity, seriousness, 
and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about it. Right in the middle of chapter 2, teach all this stuff. He gives them this charge. Teach all this stuff continues. So what is the message there to, Timothy, to Titus? He has to be able in his own way set an example of how the standard is for all the elders and what he's teaching everybody else to do. His life has to show it. Set them an example. How are we supposed to set an example? That was fun. We set an example in everything. So in everything that he discusses before those verses and everything that's coming after. So let's get into it a little bit here. Summary of Titus's responsibilities are the last verse of that chapter says, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage, rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Let's, let's look at what are these things. Teach sound doctrine. Chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. That's, what he ha that's how he's going to set a good example. He lives by sound doctrine. He's going to teach sound doctrine. That's what he had to do. Second thing, teach the older men, the older women, so that, the, the, so that they could teach the younger women and teach the young men, right? Let's read that. 2-2, two, two. teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in the faith, in love, and in endurance. Keep going. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, right? So he has all these instructions for him. Teach sound doctrine, teach the older men, teach the older women, the younger men, the younger women. And then that's his charge right there. And everything you set an example for them. So that as you're teaching them to do this, they see this exemplified in your life. And there should be an integrity in your life, a seriousness when you talk, a soundness of speech, so that anybody that would come against you, they can't really say anything bad about you. You can't say anything bad. You can make up every type of lie you want against any leader. But their integrity will show over time. Their integrity, why? Because they will be bearing fruit in their life. When there is fruit on your tree, people taste it. That is why God wants us to bear good fruit. And you can't fake it for very long because your sin will find you out. So God was being, uh, Paul's instructions through the Holy Spirit were being very specific with Titus. If we are going to stand up against false teachers, it starts in the church. The church needs to be set in order. There is an order that God operates from, and it's found upon the elders and the deacons, the fivefold ministry flowing in that way so that we could come against the lies of the enemy trying to take out the work of God upon the earth. But guess what, Titus? You have to live like this too. If you're going to teach the older men how to live and the younger men how to live and teach the older women how to teach the younger women, they need to see something in your life. Set them an example in all of these things. Everything that I told you to tell them, you're their number one example. And just because you're younger than the people that you will pastor doesn't mean you have something to teach them. Doesn't mean you don't have anything to teach them. When I planted this church, I was 23 years old. 22 technically. Then I would turn 23 a little bit later. Um, so 22 years old and doing 101 with women twice my age. 
Did I have something to teach them? Absolutely, because my life was in order and theirs was not. They were in sin. They weren't doing what the Bible said to do. So every single one of you young ladies, especially the ones that are deacons, and if you're in 201, be faithful. Let's get you graduated. Let's have you uh, pass that class to come into a position in the church where you can carry the load of making more disciples because people need to hear what you have to teach them, Jackie. And I know a lot of you guys serve in the youth ministry, but you can 100% disciple a 30-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old. Why? Because you've been grounded in the word of God. You have been a disciple, and we've taught you how to make other disciples, and you are being set in order, you know, through the church, and you're going to help us continue to do that. So that was the charge to Titus. You can't just tell other people to do it and not be it. They need to see you talk it. And there needs to be a seriousness when you speak, a soundness of speech, and an integrity, right? So that nobody can condemn it. And you can't fake integrity. It follows you everywhere you go. You can't help but bear good fruit. The reason why God wants us to bear good fruit is because when people come hungry for Jesus, thirsting for God's word, they need to be able to eat from our fruit. They need to know that it tastes good. If you don't have fruit growing on your tree and all your branches are rotting and the fruit's falling off, people are, we can't win the loss like that. We can't make disciples like that. If you're going to be a disciple that makes disciples, you have to be somebody that they want to follow. There has to be an integrity in your life. And this is the premise of doing good. There's nothing more profound in the Greek words that are used for good. There's two different Greek words that are used, but it's basically good and moral character and good and Christian conduct. Our moral character and our conduct, our deeds, what we do, all have to be good. And it's grounded in scripture. It's grounded in holiness and righteousness and um, standing on the truth that, that we get from the word of God. Amen? So let's keep going. Set a good example. He tells them to do all these things, to teach, to teach sound doctrine, to teach the older women. He even has a section in there where he has to teach slaves. And I'm, I can't get into a discussion of slavery and how it, how it worked in there, but he taught slaves to respect their masters, and, and, and in their character, they can give a good name to Christianity. And then lastly in that portion, it says to teach about God's grace, living holy, and awaiting Christ's return. And I want to read that because... I want to teach you how to talk about God's grace, how Jesus came to set us free, and not this beautifully broken stuff. This is what uh, Paul told Timothy to talk about. Remember, this was the premise of setting a good example. The summary of instructions is found in the last verse of chapter 2. These, then, are the things you should teach. What are the things you should teach? You guys remember? The sound doctrine, teaching the older, the older men, women, teaching the slaves. And now this too, this gets included in this. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Should we teach this? Yes, these then are the things we are teaching. We are going to encourage and rebuke with all authority. And we're not going to let people despise us. Even if they pee in front of our truck and do all this nasty stuff, we are going to teach this. We are going to preach this on the streets, in the four walls of the church, everywhere we go. What are we going to say? The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. Not for some people, 
all people. The blood of Jesus is made available for salvation and forgiveness of sin for all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It doesn't teach us that we can stay in our sin and be beautifully broken and, and make excuses and we can't really live saved all the time and we can't really be uh, free from sin. No, the grace of God appeared, it offers salvation and it teaches us how to say no. So look to your neighbor and say no. Y'all know how to say no, right? We need to say no to ungodliness. We say no to worldly passions. We are called to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In this present age where abortion and the LGBTQ agenda are shoved down our throats, we say no, not good, no bueno, to hell with that. It is not right. I am not going to accept that in this present age. And we are to do that continually while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Are we teaching these things? Yes, I believe we are. And we want you guys to keep, uh, to keep doing this with us where we're all growing as a church. We're all having our feelers out, man. No, we set things in order here. You want to cause problems? You want to cause issues? You can't, you can't stay here. We believe in disfellowship here. We don't do it uh, flippantly, but we do it with the fear of God because I am not going to allow division and the spirit of rebellion, which is the spirit of witchcraft, to be in this house. The spirit of rebellion is a spirit of witchcraft. If people don't want to hear how to get their moral character in line, and if they don't want to hear how to do Christian, how to have good Christian conduct and how to live like Jesus, and you still want to call yourself Christian, not around here. It's not right. You guys understand? We give grace to sinners. Sinners come here all the time. We're winning new people all the time to the Lord. But you can't be saved for two, three, four, five years, and all of a sudden you don't think you need to live like Jesus and have Christian character, and you're not going to have integrity and think that you're right with God. No, you're not right with God, because we can tell something's not right. So you can't teach what you don't live. You can't impart what you don't have. You can't lead where you've never followed. You can't offer what you don't receive, and you can't teach what you don't learn. You cannot do any of those things. That is how you set a good example in the church, by being and doing and loving what is good, living that out in your own life and integrity, and teaching others to do the same. Follow me as I follow Christ. Not, don't, not just follow Jesus and you know, look at my life in just this area, because I got all this junk in the closet. No, we live in integrity. Number three, remind people and warn them. So chapter 3, as we get in there, the subtitle is Saved in Order to Do Good. So pretty much the subject matter there, Paul kind of reiterates himself to Titus, and he's like, remind people. You know, teach them this, warn them about this. So the first thing is he reminds them how to behave. So let's read Titus 3, 1 through 2. What is he reminding them about? Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. So he's telling them, remind them to be good. Remind them how we behave. 
We respect the authorities of the land. We are going to be obedient to God's word and instruction of the church. We're going to be ready to do whatever is needed, whatever is good at any time. And we're not going to slander anybody. We're going to be peaceable, considerate, and gentle all the time, right? Next thing, remind them where they came from. Verse 3-3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So we remind people how to behave. We remind them, hey, this was our old life. We're not to be wrapped up in this kind of sin any longer. We were saved from that. And then we remind them who they are in Christ now, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, see, we lived like that. But when Jesus appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we did, but because of his mercy. So we're not saved because we're doing good. Jesus came, saved us from that lifestyle that I just reminded you we came from. He came and he saved us because of his righteousness. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by faith, uh, by grace, we become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Remind them there's eternal life in Jesus. Grace has been extended. And then he says to him, stress these things. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. What are we supposed to stress? We are saved by grace. We're not saved by our own righteousness. Jesus did it all for us on the cross. But does that mean now we live like the devil? No. Stress these things so that people can devote themselves to doing what is good. Those who have trusted in God and received this salvation, received this grace, can continue to do good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And then he goes on and he explains to them how they are to avoid controversy, avoid the mess, and warn divisive people. How do you guys know that setting things in order, um, setting things in order, being example, reminding people continually, warning people, it's all about discipleship really, right? You're... You're keeping everything accountable. You're, you're somebody undercover. You're accountable with people. And then you're just kind of watching it. You're, you're making sure everything is okay. So he avoids, he, he tells them to avoid meaningless talk. Avoid controversies that, that, don't, that don't benefit anybody. And if somebody's out of order and divisive, don't have anything to do with them. So I want to read... Uh, Starting in verse 9, let's finish chapter 3 right there. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once. So basically, if these people want to keep talking about all this nonsense stuff coming around, warn them, tell them to be quiet, tell them not to do it, and then warn them again, warn them a second time, and then after that, have nothing to do with people. Have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. So that kind of goes all in line with governing the church, understanding that we have a responsibility to keep things healthy in this local body, right? If people are going to keep coming around and talking nonsense and going against what you're teaching, going outside of what God, God has revealed to us about his truth, 
about how we're supposed to live in character, uh, the, the sound doctrine of Scripture, warn them once, warn them again, and then have nothing to do with them. So, you know, you can make this applicable in our life now. We're continually, if people want to come into this church and bring up some weird teaching or weird belief, we're going to warn them, don't teach that stuff. We'll help you if you want to learn better not to think that way or, you know, whether it comes to like the gifts of the Spirit. Some people come and they're weird about the gifts of the Spirit and they think, they think demons and all this stuff can be in Christians or whatever. That's like the example I have in my head. So if people want to bring weird teachings to this church or they want to think like, hey, I can, I can be saved and I can have sex outside of marriage, we're going to be like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't live ungodly. We're going to warn you. If you're going to be divisive, we're going to warn you again, and then we're going to have nothing to do with you. When you look, when you look up verse 311, when it talks about warning a divisive person and then have nothing to do with them, you may be sure such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. When you read the interpretation of that, this is what it means. Stubborn refusal to listen to correction reveals inner perversion. Isn't that? That puts the fear of God in me. Listen to it again. Verse 311. This is, how, uh, this is how that gets broken down. Stubborn refusal. People being stubborn to receive correction in their thinking so that we can bring it into alignment with the word of God. Continual stubborn refusal to listen to correction reveals inner perversion. That is what Paul was saying there. You may be sure that some people are warped and sinful they are self-condemned. They are refusing to be corrected and therefore will, be, will reap what they sow. The church of Jesus Christ is his bride, so don't be causing messes with her because he ain't having it. He will not have a mess in his church. We are to be elders and deacons, setting things in order, being a good example for other people to follow, and then we are continually reminding people and warning people. And those that want to refuse the correction, they want to run away from our warning or our discipleship or our accountability. If you want to do that in blatant sin, you cannot be a part of this fellowship. There is order in the church established upon elders and deacons who operate in the fivefold ministry. And everyone is supposed to first and foremost humble themselves to Jesus as the good shepherd and overseers of your soul. But then in Hebrews 3, 13, 17, it says, you are also to have confidence in your leaders. So you're submitting to Christ, and then you're also embracing the church, and you're coming under authority, and you're having confidence in your leaders, submitting to them because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. It doesn't benefit people when they rebel against the church and think that they're still going to be okay with Jesus. You cannot rebel and come under the covering of a local body of believers and think that you're going to be all right. It doesn't work like that. You need to come under. You need to have confidence and leadership. Submit to authority. So how do we apply this to our lives personally today? Number one, set things in order in your life so that God can use you to set things in order in the church. Amen? 
a lot of what Joe has been preaching, I feel, has been such good nuggies, especially the one about finances. I heard a lot of good uh, testimonies about that, especially with your guys' generation. Listen, that message was so for you guys. The young, the young people in our church, because when we see like an Oscar and a Cielo, when we see you guys here, right here in the middle, you know, Sadia, you guys, all these new couples, Lawrence and Jackie, dude, we're looking 40 years down the road. And who are you guys going to, uh, 20, uh, 20 years down the road, 20 years from now, <laughs> 20 years from now, you guys, and even sooner, elders of the church, being fruitful, having your finances in order, beautiful marriages. And, you, and many of you guys don't have fathers to teach you just practical things in life. So we are continually uh, trying to encourage all of you, get your stuff in order in your life now. Set it in order. It's for your good. Running away from leadership doesn't benefit you. And that's why we've, we've had a healthy structure of flow uh, of restoration in the church so that at any time any elder or deacon is not living right or things come up, go into restoration. Come under the care of the character council that we've established in the church and, be, uh, and learn all that God has called you to be. So as Bible college students, some, el- some deacons and some not, you, most of you guys in the 201, continue to learn Continue to submit yourself to good leadership because this is a godly, trusted leadership that you are with. We are healthy here. We fear God, and we see you as walking on this journey with us because we want to win nations for Jesus. So we need you guys to set things in your, in your life in order so that you can help us set things in order in the church. Amen? And number two, set a good example in your life now in holiness, in purity, in conviction, Live a life of integrity. Receive from the counsel of elders in your life and pursue God and his calling with everything within you. And how another way you could set a good example is teaching others how to live for Christ. And so many of you guys are doing that. Setting an example in so many ways in the church. You know, going out, preaching the gospel, serving in the church, being the first ones here, last ones to leave, always serving, cleaning, all that stuff. Being an example in your character and Christian conduct. Refute the lies of the secular worldview that we are in and uphold the truths of Scripture. It's all of it. We're coming against what culture, the agenda of this culture is throwing at us. You guys go to those high schools, the high school down the road, and the uh, and Taft and Schurz and Steinmetz and all of these high schools. What's the one down here? Prosser. Dude, we are coming against that secular worldview. I love... Um, seeing the the live feed of you guys hitting these high schools on Fridays with the truck or even without the truck and seeing Bethany out there and Oli and Abby, all these young people. And it's just, man, we we are fighting a spiritual battle. And we will do it until Jesus comes back, man. And we will put them all to shame. That one that Joe shared in our leadership meeting about Jared having that dialogue with that one girl, the best. The best. You want to bring all your nonsense? Well, we don't like what you have to say. Well, you shouldn't be here talking about that. I don't care. We live in a free country. I will tell you, you are, you are living a lie. You, are, you have been deceived, right? We're setting a good example. Um, you guys can stand up. Lawrence, if you could hit the keys. I'm going to close out with this last part here. So we want to be a people that set things in order because we believe in leadership here. We believe that every believer should be a leader. And we're going to set things in order in our life. We're going to set things in order in the church. We're going to set a good example 
by teaching sound doctrine, teaching those are old, who are older than us, teaching those who are younger than us. We're going to be teaching about God's grace, living holy, Jesus coming back. And lastly, we need to remind people and we need to warn people. And we do that by being a preacher of the gospel. We do that by continually going out there and trying to win the loss. Because as we're witnessing, we are coming against the secular worldview, this ungodly mindset, and we're speaking truth. We're bringing light into darkness. We remind and warn people by being a disciple that makes other disciples. You are under authority, and then you're teaching them how to come under authority, right? how to have accountability. We remind people of Christ's love, his sacrifice for them, reminding them that they were saved from that old life. They were saved from, from that sinful lifestyle. And, and we teach them now how to live righteously in a wicked world. Come on, you remind and warn people by multiplying yourself. Pour out your life to see others mature in their walk with the Lord, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And if a leader is doing this for you in your life in this season. Receive it. Don't fear man. Fear God. Listen and apply the wisdom they are sharing with you. Listen and change. Listen and grow. Stop stunting your growth. The longer it takes for you to listen to correction or wisdom from a leader or, or just being given advice from godly leadership, the longer it will take for you to experience a breakthrough in your life. There's nothing new under the sun. You stunt your own growth when you continually put off the counsel of leaders in your life. The Israelites' stubborn refusal to obey God's commands at that time, their continual rebellion and complaining kept them in the wilderness for 40 years, and it should have been only 40 days. So round and round the wilderness you will go if you don't know how to allow leadership to remind you and to warn you of things or to receive correction and to get in line with what the church has established. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not the church of Joe and Nancy. This is The church of Jesus is the body of Christ. You can't mess with this and think that you're going to be okay. We can't just mess with churches. That's the whole premise of do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. People cannot be outside of the local body of Jesus and think that they could just be rogue and be okay. You guys understand? You guys, God has brought you here specifically, and you're in a healthy church full of leaders, and we're not the only ones. Thank God we're not the only ones because we would be in big trouble. The church of Jesus Christ is established in America and across the nations, but we know that God has our, our reach to continue to go further, right? So don't resist it. You have a godly leader, godly trusted leadership in your life right now, rebuking, encouraging you, loving you, and we want you guys to replicate that. You are doing that for others. So that's kind of like the saying, you know, round and round the wilderness, people will go until they want to obey God. Because that is very telling. When people are, um, when people are refusing or pushing aside the correction of leadership or the advice. And it doesn't mean we're going to micromanage every single detail in everybody's life, but I'm talking about character. When leaders are in your life for your character, for your Christian conduct, making sure you're bearing fruit, that everything is healthy in your life, when you don't want to listen to that, um, and then you're, you're not submitting. You're not coming under the protection. And, and until you get checked into what God is saying to your leadership and him confirming it through your leaders, 
you won't experience the breakthrough that you're waiting so long to get. Amen? And that's what we want to teach others. And, and you see it. And you're 101ers. All of you who are deacons who do 101s with other people, you see it in your disciples. It's like, man, you don't want to live. I just told you that last week. What are you doing? Round and round the wilderness you will go until you listen to the council. Because it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual work. And it doesn't change. And as you grow as a leader, you're going to always want to uh, be under authority. Amen? So let's pray. I love you guys. Don't you just love God's word? Wasn't that good? Good teaching from the book of Titus. It's practical. It's applicable to every area of our life. And it's all about being a disciple that makes other disciples. Being in leadership, raising up other leaders, establishing God's church, living for Jesus, showing other people how to live for Jesus. It's just good stuff. And the reason why it's so important is because the Bible says for leaders, they should know the condition of their flock. We are to know the condition of the flock, and that's why we take what we say and do and see very seriously. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we want to be leaders in this generation who set things in order. And we know that setting things in order in our culture, in this generation, starts in the church. And we will be disciples. We will be leaders who set things in order in our life. So that, and so that we can set things in order in the church, God, that will glorify you, that will honor you. We want to be leaders who set a good example, who teach people sound doctrine, who preach the gospel to this ungodly and wicked world. We want to teach the older men and women in our life, teach the younger men and women in our life so they can follow us. We want to set an example for them, oh God. And we do not want to forget the teaching about your grace, the teaching about holy living, teaching about you coming back, God. We thank you that you've taken us out of darkness and brought us into your wonderful light. And Lord, we want to be a people that remind others and warn them when they do not do right by you, God. They cannot be of you. We want to remind them of your grace. We want to remind them how to live. We want to remind them, God, of who they are in you. We will stress these things, and we will put in order the rebellious. We will put in order those who are divisive. And, Lord, we pray that you help us do it in grace, but we will do it with all authority, and we will not let others despise us. Lord, we thank you for your church we thank you for the order that you've established in the church, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, oh God. We thank you for the gifts that you've given to us so that we can equip people for works of service, good works of service. I thank you for every single one of these Bible college students, Lord. I thank you for Marco and the call that you have.